through the book of Deuteronomy. If you come with me, we find ourselves uh, tonight, uh, chapter 15. And again, as we go through, remember that we're listening to Moses' final words, his final words to the children of Israel. He's, he knows that his time has come to an end. God has said that uh, he's coming home and he's not entering into the promised land. And the next event is the children of Israel entering into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, we have four messages given by Moses. Four messages, four times he stood and spoke to the people. We've already done one. We're in the middle of the second one, and it lasts all the way to about chapter 27. So as Moses is going through, he's going to give commentary on the law. He's going to give understanding on God's requirements in regard to feast days, in regard to to indebtedness in, re, in regard to a, a multiplicity of things. Because, listen, Moses wants the children of Israel to succeed. And remember, this is the next generation, right? Everybody with me? The generation that first came to the border at Kadesh Barnea had failed and perished in the wilderness. Now Moses speaks to a new generation and says, Guys, here's what you need to know to have victory. And that's why the book of Deuteronomy applies to you and I. Because we want to understand what it is to walk the victorious Christian walk with the Lord. What is it that He requires of us? That our eyes would be open and our ears willing to receive that which God has for us tonight. That He would show us by His Spirit all that He has. In chapter 15, verse 1, He begins, At the end of every seven years, you will grant a release of debts. As we take a look at verse 1, I want you to notice a couple of things. One, there are a couple of sets of words that are in italics in that verse. If you see words in a verse that are in italics, what that means is that those words are not there in the original language. Those words are given to help us understand what he's talking about. The exact wording that's in there is, now at the end of seven years, you will grant a release. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He will not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Whose release is it? It's the Lord's release. It's the Lord's release. You know, oftentimes we will find people who want to live their lives under the the sabbatical law. They, They want to follow the law of the Sabbath. The problem is... They pick and choose what they want to follow. They, they choose to follow that day as a day of worship. But they don't keep the whole Sabbath. Keeping the whole Sabbath means every seven years is a Sabbath year. You let the land lie fallow. You don't work the land. You let it rest. Every seven years you forgive all people who owe you a dime. It is the Lord's release. Every seven years. And what we're going to see when we look at the nation of Israel, we're going to see that Israel is built on what's called a heptatic structure. A heptatic structure means that it's built on sevens. We see seven come up over and over again when we study the scripture, right? Sevens come up all the time. We're going to see every seven days is the Sabbath day. We're going to see every, we're going to see when we come to the feast days, the feast of Shavuot or the feast of weeks. We're going to see seven weeks brings the Shabbat. We're going to see a week of years uh, when we look at the, the book of Daniel. We're going to see sevens built all over the place 
throughout the Jewish culture. And so we want to be aware of those things. Every seven years, God said, you forgive it all. Just let it go. The way, the reason God did this is he didn't, he was establishing, I guess he's, he's establishing the foundation for a nation to live without poverty. That every seven years you got a chance to start over again. Every seven years you got a, a pass, if you will, to begin again and try to work things out. Every 50 years, all the land would revert back to the owner. You could never lose the land. You know, we saw in our own country in the 80s, didn't we? Farms closing right and left, especially in the Midwest. Farms closing right and left. Families had had farms for 100 years, losing their family farm. According to the biblical structure, that could never happen. The land that the family owned would go to lease. And it could only be leased out for 50 years. At the end of that 50 years, the land would come back to the family. And they would again have that, have their peace. Of, of what God ultimately had given as an inheritance to the children of Israel. So we see this structure that God is laying out for him here. And I love the fact that he calls it the Lord's release. Listen, in Exodus chapter 23, you're going to see the same thing talked about in Leviticus 25. The difference is, in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 25, the focus is on the land. The land coming back, the land returning to the family. But here in Deuteronomy, the focus is on indebtedness. What is owed? What someone, what someone may owe you, you're to, you're to cut them loose. Now in verse 3 it says, Now of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. So anybody that was uh, a Jew within the nation, every seven years, debts were gone. So that meant that the indebtedness of the people were structured in such a way that it could be all solved in seven years. It could, be, it could be accomplished in seven years, and uh, according to God's plan, it would, if followed, remove the, the poorest class of people. The poorest class of people would not be consistently indebted, buried in debt to the point where they lost everything. Listen, in verse 4 he says, except when there may be no poor among you. So if there's no poor among you, then you don't have to worry about it. You remember what Jesus said? The poor you have with you how long? Always. Always. But he says, except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Listen, this is the key to what God is trying to teach the nation of Israel and what we need to grasp. And that is this. He's taking that and saying, you need to trust me that I'm going to provide for you. That I'm going to give you the crops when you need the crops. I'm going to give you favor in the market when you need favor in the market. I'm the one who's watching over you. And everything that comes into our life passes through the hands of a God who loves us. So God says, instead of working, getting yourself all worked up with worry and fret, instead of <clears throat> trying to solve all your problems with some scheme here or there, put your trust in me. And just follow what I'm laying out for you. Follow this plan that God has laid out. He says, listen, I want you guys to recognize everything you have, you got from the Lord, right? Everything I have, I got from the Lord. 
Oh, no, I got it from, you know, I, I focus and I, I worked in school for eight years to get a four-year degree. I mean, it's all built on the sweat of my brow. Is it really? I mean, the, the Lord uses those opportunities in your life to develop the character in you. But what you have is a gift from God. Don't you remember what uh, Nebuchadnezzar said when he stood over Babylon and said, Oh, look at this great kingdom which I have built. And he spent the next seven years crazy as a loon, right? At the end of which, God gave the, the nation back to him. And God said, see, I held it while you were crazy. It didn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with me. This is what the Lord is teaching his people. Where you are in your finances, where you are in, in your workplace, where you are in your job, that's all favor that God's given. And if you're not enjoying the favor of God then it is also something that God has given to help develop in you and I the character that we need to be the men and women God's calling me to be. For the road he's calling me to walk. Oftentimes I'll have people come up and pray, Jackie, I want to pray that, that God will give me a new job. I get nervous on stuff like that. How do I know God wants you to have a new job? How do I know God doesn't want you to be in that job having to deal with the things you're dealing with in that workplace to develop in you what you need to face a storm you don't even know is coming yet? Well, I don't want to take the place of God in that. Well, I'll always pray for a brother and always pray for God's will and, and that he would have an understanding of God's will and be directed by him. But we want to have eyes that recognize that. Eyes that say, hey, this is all in my life because of the touch of God. Everything I have, good and bad. And that's going to be important for their attitude toward the poor later on in the chapter. Our attitude toward the poor is really dependent on whether or not we think we got everything we got just because we're better than somebody else. It, it robs you of your generosity. It robs you of your hospitality. Our nation is not the most hospitable of nations. I've been to third world countries that people didn't have anything. Dirt floors, no plumbing, none of the things we would consider necessary to live. And yet I'm coming with 15 kids from the States to come do a mission trip. And they bring us in and out of what they have, they feed us all. That's hospitality. You don't think that's going to put a dent in their, in their livelihood? That's a big deal. That hospitality comes from an understanding that the things I have are not mine. The things I have are given to me by God. And he calls me to share what I have. And I don't have to be afraid if I give you my last chicken. Because God's going to provide for me what I need. And if God wants me to miss a meal, it's okay. I trust him implicitly that he is doing what he needs to do in my life. That's the attitude that we want to have if we want to walk victoriously. And I think that's what he's getting to here. He says in verse 5, Listen, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. And you will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. That's a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. We'll see the fulfillment of that promise in the kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns from the throne of David and Israel is, uh, as a nation, the seat of power for the world. 
But until that time, it's never happened. Never happened. Maybe microscopically a little bit during the time of Solomon, but certainly not for very long because his very next uh, reign of the next king, his son, it's all lost. So when we, when we look at this, this is, this is what God's saying. God's saying, I will, listen, if you will be hospitable, if you will be generous, if you will have eyes to see that the things that are going on in your life come from me, that I give you the things that you need, I'm going to take care of everything you need. But so often you and I, we worry, right? Remember what Jesus said about worry? Which of you can add one inch to your stature through worry? What can you change by worry? He said, the flowers of the field neither toil nor spin, but God gives them whatever they need, don't he? The sparrows. God takes care of the sparrows. Not one of them would fall, but the Lord knows that that sparrow has fallen. As as God is is laying these things out for us, saying, I have you. You are of much more value than the sparrows. I've got you. I got you. If you think about it, most of the times when we're dealing with frustration and anger and resentment toward people, it's about we didn't, weren't treated like we thought we ought to be treated or we didn't receive what we thought we ought to receive or maybe they ripped us off or maybe this or the other thing or happened. But then we're looking at it. We have just removed God out of the equation and said, in essence, this that I'm going through is not from you. It's because this guy's a jerk or that guy ripped me off. Or because I made a dumb decision in school. Hey, we all do it. I can sit back and go, I wonder what would have been different in my life. When I was 19 years old, I called my uncle, Uncle Leslie, who lived in Montana. And Uncle Leslie had an outfitting company in Montana that took people out. All he did all year was outfit hunts. And I called him up and I was like, man, Uncle Leslie, I want to come. I want to learn how to do all that stuff. I want to learn how to... You know, I grew up in California my whole life, so I was on a horse one time, and it didn't end well. So I was never on a horse twice. And uh, so I was going to, I, I had an opportunity to go to Uncle Leslie's, and so I was excited. We talked about dates and me going up there for the summer and just spending the whole summer with him. And, and he said, if you come up, I'll teach you the business, and I'll give it to you when I retire. You just take it. So he was, because he didn't have any sons that wanted to do it, he was stoked to, to have somebody who wanted to come. A few months later, I got this crazy idea, and I went to the recruiter, and I talked to a Marine Corps recruiter about joining the Marine Corps. I was faced with a choice. Go in the Marine Corps, or go up in Montana. And I went in the Marine Corps. And ever since, I wondered, what would have happened in my life? How would it have been different? If I'd have gone to Montana. Well, what a dumb thing to waste my time thinking about. Can I change anything? No. Ultimately, hey, God's hand was on me. Either God's sovereign or he's not. If God's sovereign, then God's sovereign hand is on me, even in those choices that I make. And he's developing in me the things he needs. So I don't need to look at that and say, what if? I need to say, God, this was a path you had for me to walk. And I walked it. And I'm not going to get frustrated or hold grudges or worry about other people or other things. I just want to stay focused on, hey, this is you working in my life. 
when the plumbing goes, when the school bus gets stuck in the mud at my house, when whatever, whatever happens. That's, that's a moment that God has ordained. And if we look at it like that, doesn't that change everything about those things that we face? If that breaks down, the car breaks down, I lose my job, whatever. This is a moment that God's brought, that God's working in our life. And we want to have eyes to see those. And we want to be willing to enjoy the blessing that God has for us as we walk in the victory. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from the poor brother. Did you hear that? If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land. Now for Israel, that's a little bit smaller than the United States, but it applies. Anyone within the gates of your land, do not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. Most people, (coughs) when they consider the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, they focus on... uh, the homosexuality that was rampant in the land. But that's not what Ezekiel focuses on. Ezekiel says, listen, here's the problem. The, your, your sister, Sodom and Gomorrah, they fell because they didn't care about the poor. They had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care about the poor. They didn't care. They didn't meet their needs. They, they, they were unwilling. This is mine. You could have this if only you got off your duff and did something about it. But God doesn't say, help them if they are worthy. Any more than God gave you grace because you were worthy. God gave you grace because he loves you. Not because you earned it. Or because you deserve it. And he says, you want to walk in victory? then see in that poor man an opportunity to help. An opportunity to help. Lord, I don't know, man. There's a lot of poor people. You said the poor will be with us always. I can't can't make the poor go away. Look what he says. In verse 8, But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Open your hand wide to him. That's a wild concept, man. To me, that's a wild concept. It's one of the things <clears throat> I, used to, I used to feel bad about. I don't, I don't feel so bad about it anymore. But I used to feel bad because every time uh, when I was at Joshua Springs, somebody would come in. I, I was like the sucker. If you wanted to get money from the church, come see me. Oh, you don't even have to tell me a sad story. Most cases, I'm like, you don't have no food? Well, let's go get you some food. You don't got a place to stay? Let's get you a place to stay. They, they took that job away from me. <laughs> but the way I understand the scripture, God's blessing is on that. Now, I'm not saying to be taken advantage by a con man. I'm just talking about real people who are in need. People that don't have a place. People that don't have food. People that don't have, you know, the things that they need. He says, open your hand wide to them. Look what he says. He says, listen... Open your hand, give him whatever he needs. Listen, verse 9. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. He's saying, remember, don't lend him something and then and, and think, oh, but next year, uh, it's all gone. God says, I don't want you to think like that. 
I don't want you to worry about, in essence, I don't want you to worry about whether or not they can pay it back. I don't want you to worry about that. Don't, don't have that evil wickedness in your heart. The year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cries out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. God says, I, I have a problem if you don't take care of the poor. If you don't try to, to do what you can to meet people's needs. Now, in this also, we gotta, we got to guard against becoming the Lord in somebody's life. Every time something's wrong, I just go to the church or I just go borrow money from this brother. We want to press into the spirit of the Lord and God's guidance and God's direction in that saying, sometimes it's time to go without. Sometimes it's time not to. And we ask for the gift of discernment in regard to that. Do we believe that God gives a gift of discernment? Do you believe that God will show you? You believe that God will guide you and lead you? And then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. I told you one time I was walking into a restaurant, Kathy and I in California, and I was working a job and, and had uh, all, I wouldn't say all the money I needed, but all the money I needed pretty much. And so we were walking in, at least for that time, and I seen this guy. And I very distinctly felt the Spirit of God moving in me to give him something. So I walked by and handed him 20 bucks. And Kathy said, man, he's just going to go get booze or he's going to go get high but i don't know what he's going to do i just gave that money to the lord it's god's money i'm giving it to you you do what you want with it you don't have to answer to me he's going to answer to god what did he do did when god met his need but sometimes we're so concerned that it's our responsibility to make sure that we're the ones watching over the consequences in someone's life we forget that god does a pretty good job of that do you know that but god i'd really like you to whoop this guy instead of letting him get away with this hey god knows what he's doing we can't always see but god always knows what he's doing we want to have the kind of eyes those kind of eyes to see what god wants in verse 10 he says you shall surely give to him And your heart will not be grieved when you give it to him. Because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put to your hand. God's basically saying, you can't outgive me. If you're generous and hospitable to the poor, you can't outgive me. I got your back. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. And then look what he says in verse 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. Well, in verse 4, he said, except when there's no poor among you. Well, what's that mean? I guess you're doing it all the time. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you will open your hand wide to your brother, to the poor and your needy in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, and serves you six years, and in the seventh year, you will let him go free from you. So verses 12 through 18, he's going to talk about what it is to free the servants. He says, no one can be indentured unto you for longer than six years. At the end of six years, you cut them loose. You let them go. They're going to come. They're going to work. Maybe they got themselves in debt. 
They can't get themselves out. So they would sell themselves in slavery. And they would be cared for by this family, whatever family or whatever owner owned whatever business. They would be fed. They would give a place to sleep. They'd have all the things that they needed. And they would work for six years. At the end of six years, whatever they were working off was done. It's over. That's as long as you can keep them. Six years. And you will cut them loose. But look at verse 13. And when you send them away from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. He works six years for you. And then when he leaves, you feel his hands up. You make sure he's got what he needs to go get himself a place. He's got what he needs to go uh, take care of the things he needs to take care of. You make sure you take care of him. See, God cares about how we treat one another. Somewhere in the world got the idea that it's all about getting over, stepping on one another, grinding somebody down to lift somebody else up. But God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what does he do? I will lift you up. Wouldn't you rather be lifted up by the Lord than put down? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Do the things. Follow. Be obedient to what God's word said. Listen, he said, you will supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press, from what, listen, the Lord your God has blessed you with, you will give him. See, again, God's saying, what you have is not yours. It's all mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. So God says, listen, when that slave that you've had for six years leaves, you make sure he's got everything he needs from your threshing floor. That'd be the grain, the, the, the crops that came in at harvest. From your wine press. You make sure that he has whatever he needs so that he doesn't leave. And this is what he says. Listen, so important. For you will remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. What's God saying? Remember where you came from. Never forget where you came from. You guys, this nation was a slave nation in Egypt. Working for a cruel taskmaster who slaughtered all your male children by throwing them in the Nile. And God set you free. And when you left, did they leave empty handed? God said, they're going to pay you all your back wages. They got everything they needed. And now God says, I've given you everything you need. I give you your daily bread. I bless you. I bless you financially. I bless you in your harvest. I bless you in all these ways. And you're going to look at this poor guy on the street and just walk by. God says, no. Freely you have received. Freely give. Yeah, but God, I won't have enough. All that shows is where my, where my trouble is. My trouble is that I don't believe God's going to provide. Oh, that's being irresponsible. It's not being irresponsible if that's what God's laying on your heart. It's being irresponsible if God's telling you not to do something and you do it. But if God says to do it, if God says that this is where he's coming from, 
This is what he's telling the children of Israel. This is God's heart. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. That's a commandment to the nation of Israel, and the reason behind the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when we look at that, I think it it should be a warning to all of us. In Matthew chapter 25, at the end of the tribulation period, in the valley of uh, Jehoshaphat, I think is the name of the valley, uh, the valley of judgment, the the Lord is going to judge the nations, right? And when he judges the nations, what's the key to entering into the kingdom or not? When I was naked, you... When I was hungry, you. When I was in prison, you. When did we do those things to you, Lord? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. When you've done it unto the least of these. God's heart. God's heart is that way. Did God, in in the law, did he make provision for the poor? Yeah, whenever you harvested the land, God said you couldn't harvest the corners. Leave the corners alone and you make one pass. Whatever you get in the one pass is yours. Whatever you didn't get, the poor get. So people would come through and they'd harvest the land. And right behind the guys that were harvesting would follow the poor. And the poor would come and and pick up what was left. And that's how they ate. That's why the Bible says if you won't work, you won't eat. Because they had opportunity, right? They could go out in the field and glean. You remember the story of Ruth? Ruth was out gleaning in the field. And what happened? The guys in front of her, the owner of the field, told them, drop handfuls of purpose before her. So while she's picking, the guys that are in front of her are throwing throwing grain and seed out of the bags for Ruth. Because Boaz said, man, she's purdy. (laughs) So... But see, it's, that's all the story of, it's a love story of how God loves us. He gave us what we need. We just got to trust him. We just got to trust him, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult to trust him. We want to trust him. <clears throat> so the slave will go free, and you're going to take care of the poor. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you, then you will take an owl, and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he will be your servant forever. Also, to your male or female servant, you will do likewise. What's that called? You guys know? A bond servant. Dulos. Dulos. That's a slave, a permanent slave to another. Permanent. So when Paul begins his letter, how does it start? Paul, uh, bond slave of jesus christ that's the picture right that we love him because he prospers us because he takes care of us i don't want to be anybody else's servant i want to be his forever that's the picture of the doulos the bond slave slave by choice permanently for all time to be that slave. So he says, this is how it'll be. You put the all through his ear into your doorpost, and he's a slave forever. And it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you. For he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. And the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. 
Now, again, he's talking about releasing the servant, not the doulos. The doulos is permanent. But afterwards, when you release a man, God says, it's not going to be, I don't want it to be hard on you. I don't want you to be heavy hearted about, oh, I can't let him go empty handed. I'm going to have to give him all this stuff. It's so hard. God says, don't have that kind of an attitude. I will bless you. Listen, God gave the command of the sabbatical year in Exodus 23, Leviticus 25. God said, on the sixth year, I'll give you double. On the seventh year, let the land lie. And for 490 years, they never did it. Because the heart of man is greedy. If I got double this year and I work next year, I'll get ahead. Have you learned anything about getting ahead yet? Anybody got there? Man, that's a deceitfulness of, of, of riches. A little more will make me happy. Just a little more. Just a little more. If you're Donald Trump, wouldn't you think it's time I could stop? No, apparently not. I need a little more. I only made $8 billion. I, I, I need 10 That's the heart of man. So for 490 years, never once did they let the land lie fallow. Yet God, for 490 years, gave them double every six years. Isn't that amazing? And then came the captivity, and God said, for 70 years, man, you're not leaving Babylon. And Daniel, when he searched the Scripture to find out why, he discovered, we never let the land lie fallow for 490 years. 490 years, we we never gave the Sabbath year. So 490 divided by 7 is 70 years of captivity. And that's how long they stayed. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. When Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother for the sin that he sins against me? As many as seven times? And the Lord said, 70 times 7, which equals? 490. Exactly what God had done. 490. And he would have forgave them if they'd have turned to him, but they wouldn't. So they went into captivity. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Listen, don't let it be heavy on your heart. Trust me. I said I'll give you what you need. I I said I'll give you what you need. I promise. I promise. God's laying it out for him. He wants them to follow that. He wants them to be gracious. Now, in verse 19, he's going to start talking about the firstborn, the firstborn of animals. All the firstborn males that come from your herd, from your flock, are sanctified to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. This is to be, the firstborn is to be the Lord's. Offered to the Lord. They're going to eat them. It's a barbecue. That's what sacrifice was, right? Part of that sacrifice would be consumed in the fire to the Lord. Part of that sacrifice went to the Levites. Part of that sacrifice went to you. God says, you're going to do this with your firstborn. What are we supposed to give unto the Lord? The first or what's left? The first. Why? Because if you give them what's left, what's left? Yeah, nothing. Nothing's left. Giving him what's first is like saying, I trust you because I have this now. What's that old saying? A bird in the hand is worth 
two in the bush, right? I have the bird in my hand right now, Lord, but I'm going to give that to you and trust you that you're going to supply my needs. It's faith. It's faithfulness. And this is what God's saying. The firstborn belong to the Lord. All the firstborn belong to him, including your children. So how did you redeem your child? You took your firstborn to the temple and you made the the sacrifice for the firstborn to redeem him. The firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn, all pointing to Jesus Christ. The only begotten son of the father. This is what it's all pointing to. You and your household. But if there's a defect in the firstborn, if it's lame or blind or has any serious defect, you will not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Does God want the the lame? He wants the best, right? He wants the best. So he says if it's lame, don't give that to the Lord. You can still eat it. You can still do all the things you want to do with it. It's just like eating a deer or a gazelle. It's all good. But don't offer that to the Lord. Don't offer the lame to the Lord. Don't give the Lord your lame. A lot of folks give the Lord the lame. God says, give him the firstborn, that which comes first. He says, you may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You will pour it out on the ground like water. Why? Why does God over and over again say, pour out the the blood on the ground? His life is in the blood. How are we redeemed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. So God wants us to sanctify the blood. Sanctify the blood. Sanctify the blood. Don't treat the blood as a common thing. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us if if we don't treat the blood rightly? He says we're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. One of the most powerful scenes for me when I watch The Passion of the Christ is that scene after Jesus had been flogged when, uh, when Mary and Martha are sopping up the blood. If, you guys, if any of you guys saw it, they're out there sopping up the blood. And, you know, that's not biblical, traditional. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff. But the point is, my mom said, why do you think they were doing that? Because the blood was holy and righteous and just. That's not something just to be left on the ground to be trampled through. So they sopped it up. Learning to treat or value the blood of Jesus Christ. And he teaches them to learn to value the blood of Jesus Christ by learning to value blood in every living thing. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Treat the blood differently than you treat everything else. Now, chapter 16, he turns his eyes toward... The appointed times, the appointed times. We studied these in the book of Leviticus, the seven feasts covered in the Torah. Now, there's more than seven feasts in Israel, but we're talking about the seven feasts or the seven appointed times to the nation of Israel. Remember I said this is, we're we're looking at a heptatic structure. Seven feasts, interesting, right? Seven feasts that all, the first three feasts, the spring feasts, point to the first coming of Jesus Christ. The last three feasts point to the second coming. You know what's in the middle? The the feast that points to the church. Hmm, Interesting, interesting. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 16, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Abib and Nisan are the same month. 
Okay, Abib and Nisan are the same month. 14th of Nisan is Passover or Abib. It's, it's the, we're talking about the same time, the same month. Therefore, you shall sacrifice a Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd and the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. Now, up until this time, they sacrificed the Passover at their homes. But now he says, when the temple's built, which is still a ways down the road, right? You go to that place and you offer your Passover there. You offer your, when the Lord puts his name on a place, when we see the temple and all worship being focused at the temple, then that's going to change. You're going to go where the Lord chooses to put his name. <clears throat> and he says, you shall eat no uh, leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. Now, when we talk about the Passover, I don't want you to get confused. Passover, feast of unleavened bread, feast of first fruits. First three feasts deal with the first coming of Jesus Christ. They are all in the month of Nisan. Passover, the 14th of Nisan. Then the feast of unleavened bread begins and lasts for seven days. And the first Sunday after Passover is the day of the feast of first fruits. So in that seven day period of time in the feast of unleavened bread, you in essence have all three feasts, the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of first fruits. The Passover is obvious, right? The Passover, the lamb of God being slain for the sin of the, of the world, the, the covering of the blood points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The feast of unleavened bread, there is no leaven. All the leaven will be hidden. Still today, as a part of that feast, they take three pieces of matzah, complete whole pieces that are are within a a case, like a pillowcase. And they pull out the middle piece and they break it. They put half of it back in and half of it, they hide and the children go and find it. They go and find it. It is called that which comes later. And when you ask the Jewish people, why do you do that? What's the symbolism? They don't really know. But when you come to understand that the first three feasts point to Jesus Christ, you see in those three pieces of matzah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son was broken and buried and rose again three days later. And He is coming again you see it all in the tradition of how they celebrate the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of first fruits that what was the first sunday after passover the resurrection jesus rose from the dead on the on the feast of first fruits he has become the first fruits of those who arise from the dead he'll never die never die again everybody else who rose from the dead what happened to them they died again they died again. Not Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. It's eternal. And we will experience that same resurrection. The Feast of first fruits. All three of those first feasts are in that first seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's what he's talking about here. Seven days you will eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That's why there's no leaven in it. They didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. So it becomes like pita, like matzah. No leaven, no yeast, no rising, just a flat bread. 
that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. At the Passover, you remember what happened? How much of the sacrifice do you have to eat? All of it. Everything. Didn't leave anything behind. You had to eat it all or get rid of it. You may not sacrifice a Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide. There you will sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt, and you will roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses, and in the morning you will turn and go to your tent. So that first day of Passover is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Everybody with me? Three days later, or the first Sunday after the day of Passover, the Feast of First Fruits. The first three feasts of the nation of Israel all point to the first coming of Jesus Christ. Six days you will eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there will be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You will do no work in it. So they're going to be focused, utterly focused, eyes completely upon that final work, not only the work of redemption that God did at the time of Egypt and what he'd done for the nation, but also looking forward to what Jesus Christ would do for the nation and the sacrifice that he would give to set the people free. Now, so that, that kind of takes a brief look at the first three. And if you want a more deeper look, it's in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> um, so go read it. <clears throat> Verse 9, he says, Now you will count seven weeks for yourself. Now this becomes... The Feast of Shavuot. Shavuot. This is the counting of the Omer. Seven weeks from this point. 49 days. On the 50th day, you have the Feast of Shavuot. Otherwise known as? 50 days after the resurrection? Pentecost. The Pentecost. Means 50 days. The Feast of Pentecost. Listen to what he's talking about. You will count seven weeks... Count, uh, begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you will keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give to the Lord your, or which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. So there's no sacrifice associated with Pentecost. There's a free will offering. You give unto the Lord based on what God's given you. Isn't that the the teaching that Paul used in reference to the giving of the church? How are you supposed to give? Paul says, let each one give as the Lord blesses them. As God's given unto you, so you give. That that would be the thing. This is Pentecost. This is what would be offered. You would offer whatever the Lord had done for you, whatever God had given you. Uh, And you will rejoice before the Lord your God. You, your son, your daughter... Male servant, female servant, the Levite who is in your gates, a stranger and the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you will remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you will be careful to observe these statutes. You see, as God looks at all these things, he's telling them over and over and over again, remember where you came from. Don't forget the state that you were in when God redeemed you. Because when you remember where you come from, it's a whole lot easier to have grace and mercy on the people God calls us to have grace and mercy on. It's a whole lot easier to treat the poor 
or the widow or the orphan or anybody else that God calls us to minister to the way God calls us to when we remember where we came from. When we remember how God redeemed us, how God saved us. So he says, this is, I want you to focus. I want you to understand this. This is the Feast of Shavuot. It occurs in between. The first three deal with the first coming. The second three, or the last three, with the second coming. And the middle one, the day of the church was born. What happened on Pentecost? You remember the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, right? Do you know at the Feast of Shavuot, you know what kind of bread they have? Leavened. Every other feast, unleavened bread, unleavened bread, unleavened bread, except for the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Shavuot. And that day they lift up the unleavened bread and the leavened bread and they wave it before the Lord. Why? If you ask them why, they'll say it's, it's the law working together with the prophets. And so we wave. It doesn't make any sense. How about it's Jew and Gentile brought together in one through who? Jesus Christ. Made one in Christ Jesus. There is now no more Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. The Feast of Shavuot. That's right in the middle. The second three, the three that come in the seventh month, or the seventh month of the religious year, comes up next. You will observe the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press, and you will rejoice in your feast at you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, female servant, and a Levite, the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you will keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you surely shall rejoice. The Feast of Weeks would occur at the end of the harvest, as the harvest had come in. They would go live in tents. That was the time when they would go out and live in tents. The tents had to be constructed in a certain way, so that they would be able to see the stars through the wood, uh, the branches that were used for the roof. And symbolizing how they wandered in the, in the wilderness for those, for those 40 years coming from Egypt to the Promised Land. Coming from Egypt to the promised land, looking forward to that second coming of Jesus Christ as he returns and brings us home, to be home with the Lord, to be home with him. Listen, they're focused there on the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. What they didn't talk about of the second feast here in Deuteronomy, the second three feasts is Yom Terura. It is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. When the trumpets are sounded and God's people are gathered together. Pointing to the second coming. Uh, Most agree that that's looking forward to what the church calls the rapture today. The second, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. When the scapegoat and the, the sin offering would be offered for the nation the one day when the high priest would be able to enter into the holy of holies and then the third one of the fall fe- or i'm sorry the spring feasts is uh 
the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot, seventh month of the religious year, uh, or I'm right, the fall feast, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So, the Feast of Trumpets on the first of Tishri, or the first day of the seventh month. Yom Kippur is the tenth day of the seventh month. Sukkot is the fifteenth of the seventh month. So, of the six of the seven feasts, three ending and three beginning are all in the same month. The only one that's in a different month is the, the Feast of Shavuot or uh, Pentecost. That sets in the middle, looking to the second coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ, the last three. The first coming, the first three. The spring feast, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Fall feast, trumpets, day of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. Again, <clears throat> he's laying out for them, these are the feasts. This is how these feasts are going to be celebrated. But here's the important part. In verse 16, he tells them which three are mandatory. Three times a year, all your males will appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, which is Jerusalem, where the temple will be built, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, (coughs) which, by the way, will include Passover... The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Those three, every Jewish male able body was to go to Jerusalem and present themselves before the Lord for those three feasts. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man will give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. What was the rule of giving? The rule of giving was according to how God's blessed you. In the, in the same accordance that God's blessed you, give. <clears throat> now verse 18 is going to focus on their judges. You will appoint judges and officers in your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, according to your tribes, and they will judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. Okay, Moses laying out for them. What's one of the biggest problems in the United States today? Perversion of justice. When's the last time you saw justice actually served? Not for lack of trying, but it seems like we don't very often see justice happen, perfect justice being done. You will not pervert justice. You will not show partiality nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twist the words of the righteous. So no bribes, no bribes, no, no, um, no partiality. Didn't matter how a man looked, whether he's rich or poor, famous or not. If he's guilty, he's guilty. If he's not, he's not. That's the justice that Jesus Christ brings in the kingdom. The justice that he brings as he rules with a rod of iron. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Listen, God gave him a land, he's taking it away from an unjust people. And he's saying, now when you go into this land, be just. I'm the landlord. Don't make me throw you out of the land. What did they do? They got thrown out of the land, right? They got thrown out of the land for 2,000 years. But God is faithful to his promise. He says in Ezekiel, he's going to bring them back. In 1948, he did. 
A nation that didn't exist as a nation became a nation again. One of the greatest proofs that the Word of God is absolutely true. And then finally, verse 21, he says, You will not plant yourself a tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. Oh, why is that a big deal? Well, in essence, this is what they're saying. Don't mix pagan practices with your worship of the Lord. What do you mean? I mean, what they did is they would plant groves in the place of worship. They would build these sacred pillars. They were, they were symbols uh, to p- different pagan deities. They just called them trees. In the, in the Old Testament, in 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st, 2nd Kings, you'll hear God say, go tear down the high places. Tear down the trees and the groves. <clears throat> because these were areas of pagan worship. God's saying, don't mix paganism with your worship of God. Don't mix it. What you offer to the Lord, let it be holy to Him. Not any kind of mixture. We'll see that spoken of in the book of Revelation to the seven letters to the seven churches. And you will not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. Don't try to come to the Lord based on some other pagan ritual. Okay, he's saying, listen, don't... The pagans over here, this is how they, they come to their Lord. Cut themselves, and they dance, and they build these things, these groves, and they'll have sex in these groves, and they'll do all these things as part of their worship. God says, don't bring that to me. That's not what, how I want you. I've given out to you the seven feasts. I've given out to you how I want worship, how the Lord desires worship. Jesus said in John chapter 4, the, the Father looks for those who worship him how? In spirit and in truth. That's how God wants us to come, right? In spirit and in truth. Not trumping up some craziness. Just in spirit and in truth. Come before the Lord and offer Him worship. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that even as You laid out for us In the book of Deuteronomy, the words of Moses to his people, Father, may we never forget that you quoted from this book more than any other. That Jesus, while he was on earth, quoted from the book of Deuteronomy and laying out God's desire for his people. Father, may we have a heart that says, I I want to have eyes that say, I look at my world through the eyes, through my Father's eyes. I I see the, the circumstances of my life as touched by Almighty God, as ordained by Him. And I trust Him for His provision. For He is Yare Yide, my provider. Everything that I need, everything that I have, comes from Him. Everything that I don't have, comes from Him. So God, may I be what You want me to be, a generous and hospitable person, who is constantly hearing the voice of you, God, guide me and direct me in how to minister to the poor, how to reach out to the needy, how to do the things that you require of me. Father, may I have eyes to see the truth of your word, God, as it applies to me in every aspect of my life. May I be open to what you're doing, how you're moving, what you're going to do in my life, God. I, I just put my trust in you. 
Lord, and, and I want to walk in that victorious life. I want to learn the lessons of the generation that went before me. And I never want to forget who I am. That I was lost and now I'm found. That you, God, were able to save me to the uttermost. That you pulled me from the gutter. And you made me righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me. If you can make me clean, then you can make anyone clean. Give me eyes to see. A heart willing to minister to your people. To love your people the way you love them. Father, may you be glorified in the life that I live out before you. May it be my sacrifice of worship. In spirit and in truth, the life I live before you. Father, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're gonna cl-